In a world filled with movies, it can be hard to choose just one to watch. What do you want to watch? I'm not deciding this. What do you want to watch? I asked first. Come on. What do you want to watch? No. What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch, Patrick? What do you Where even watch? narrowing down a you genre can be a struggle. How about we watch a drama? Too many emotions. Okay, then how about we watch an action film? Too many explosions. I know, I know. Let's watch a horror movie. Oh, uh, Dad, just do an interview already. Welcome, everybody, to the Diecast Movie Podcast, where this episode we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, listener. John Lyons here, one of the filmmakers behind the new fracking horror film, Unearth. Unearth follows two neighboring farm families whose relationships are strained when one of them chooses to lease their land to a natural gas company. In the midst of the growing tension, the land is drilled and something long dormant and terrifying deep beneath the earth's surface is released. The film stars the legendary Adrienne Barbeau and Buffy alum Mark Lucas. I don't think you guys are seeing the full picture. Catherine, look around you. You got a highway at the back of your field now. And where's your dairy business? Huh, in my farm? The world is leaving us behind. But if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. You make a tree bad, its fruit's gonna be bad. We don't need fucking fruit. We need a miracle. Yeah. George. Hey, Catherine. You make the decisions that's best for your family. I'll make the decisions that's best for mine. Unearth takes a dramatic, slow-burn approach to the real-world horrors facing many of us today in the tall shadows of big industry. Starting July 6th, Unearth is available to buy or rent on all the major VOD platforms, including Amazon Video, Apple Movies, YouTube and Google Play, Vudu, Xbox, and Fandango Now. For more information about Unearth, just listen to our interview here with Steven on Diecast or go to unearthmovie.com, where you can also find the soundtrack, poster, shirts, and pre-order the Extras Pack Blu-ray later this summer. Thanks for supporting Indie Film. And now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Um, this is Steve Turk. I'm joined with John Lyons and Dorata. Um, how do you say your last name again? Yeah. And, and she's and both of these are the directors of the new movie that's coming out real soon, Unearth. And I want to talk to them about the movie and also what led them to become filmmakers. How are you guys both doing today? Doing good. Good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. I, you know, I'm just I saw this movie back in the um, film festivals, and I reached out to both of you. And it's so nice to you. Let me do an interview with the two of you. Cause I, I thought the movie was really good when I saw it. I think it was, what was it? November, October of last year. And I got, of course you sent me the link and I got to watch it again this weekend. Great. So you're all impressed. Which do you remember the festival you saw it at? Oh, could you repeat that? So do you remember which film festival you saw it at? Yeah, it was at the, um, the Colorado one. It's all virtually. Oh yeah. The mile high. Yep. With the uh, Q and A afterwards. Excellent. Yeah, that was a that was a good Q and A. Well, I enjoyed it a lot. But just before we get talking about the movie, I'm curious. Um, 
what was one of your favorite films from each of you when you were growing up? Oh boy. Let's see. It doesn't have to be <laughs> your all time favorite. Just one of your favorites. <laughs> uh, well, let's see, I guess I really like children of men, but that's not really when I was growing up. Uh, children of men, heat, all, all kinds of movies. Throw it over some movies you like. Well, when we were growing up, it's a little bit tricky question because I was growing up in Poland, which was um, that time in kind of difficult, different situation than the rest of the Europe. So we were kind of uh, separated from that Western cinema and we didn't have a lot of uh, movies really to watch. Like now it's happening. So maybe I can say what, what, what to later I like. Oh, sure. I like to, the film. Yeah, the later I just decided that I like documentaries and the films which are based on dialogue, heavy dialogue. So I would say Woody Allen, early <laughs> cinema, but yeah, that's probably the, what I can mention. Yeah, it's a tough question. I remember one of the earliest ones that I saw that really had an impact on me was Blade Runner. Uh, my babysitter brought it to the house, and that's just a early memory I have is, is Blade Runner kind of blew my mind. It's, it's a tough question to ask. It is. It is. Um, but it's one of the things I always like to find out what, what kind of everybody likes to enjoy, you know, at an earlier age or later in age, um, with Blade Runner, was he a replicant or not a replicant according to you? <laughs> I, I, I feel he's a replicant. Yes. Even before the, the sequel and everything around that, yeah. Yeah, I never, I never, when I first saw it, I felt that he was human. But, of course, they changed the film a little bit to make it obvious that he is a replicant. But, it's, you know. Yeah, the member, it uh, depends on which of those three cuts you saw, right? <laughs> well, I was lucky enough, I saw it in the theater. So, it's, um, it's, it, made it, it made its impact on me then. Great film. Oh, it is. Now, what led you both to become interested in doing films and, um, and, and things like that? What led you to go to, into the filmmaking? Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I always liked, um, you know, once my family got a, a video camera, playing around with it and making little short films with my friends. And I always liked to draw at a young age and kind of tell stories through comics. So, um, I think it was just kind of a natural progression. And then later when I was in college, uh, my university got like its first non-linear editing system um, or system to edit digitally on. And once I started learning that, I kind of got back into it at that point. And to me, it was just by accident because I have the green photography and one day I was just asked to feel and for missing DP, director of photography on the set, and I did it. And after that, I asked, I was asked again to do the same thing, and then again, and I would say this that way. I decided I like it. And well, I'm glad. I'm glad you decided you liked it because, if I understand correctly, you both co-directed on Earth, and you were the one that did most of the um, cinematography and the filming, and I think. Um, John, you did most of the stuff working with the actors and writing the script. 
Yeah, I mean, we both have a lot of crossover, but uh, yeah, definitely Dorota. Um, I mean, she can speak to this, of course. Uh, you know, enjoys working with the director of photography and working on the image. And yeah, I gravitate more towards the actors and the script. Cool. And, and how did you both end up meeting? I mean, how did you get um, develop this collaboration? We met in college. Um, that's how it, everything began. And then John was very enthusiastic about the film. At first, I did not see his passion as something serious. But then I do realize that, yeah, he's very serious about filmmaking. And that's how it kind of, I took from him that kind of passion for the film and because the film industry is very specific industry is just not a job it's a lifestyle and you have to be really into it you have to be kind of crazy desperate person <laughs> they're very dedicated to the project because it's a very challenging job to do you it's long hours and in very difficult environment and it's just it's not a regular job so you have to be really dedicated to that kind of work yeah I, guess it can go yeah, I don't think i have much to add there yeah i guess it can go from just a few hours to it can be almost all-nighters you know with um the schedule always depending on what's going on at that particular time yes exactly it's very it's very kind of you have to improvise and it takes a lot of strength to do that to do that kind of job on Earth in particular, we had very long hours and very few days. We only filmed in uh, over three weeks, 18 days. And, uh, yeah, most of the days were 12 to 14 hours back to back. So it was a pretty grueling shoot. And and just before we get done, Earth, university, you went to, you both went to Edinburgh then? Yes. Because I grew yes, up. I grew up my first, I, I started off uh, my first five years of life in Edinburgh, was born in Erie, oh. Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And my dad used <laughs> okay. to work for Edinburgh back then. Wow. All right. Small world. Small world. <laughs> All roads lead to Pennsylvania. Well, it is a beautiful area. And that's one of the things that drove me to watching this film. There was, there was two reasons. One, it was set where I grew up, you know, early in childhood. And second was Adrian Barbeau, who is one of the reasons I found that about the film was on her Facebook site. And then, um, you know, went to the festival and did, you know, paid to see it and got the Q and a and all that stuff. And it was just watching it the first time. I had no idea what the movie was about, except it was set in Western Pence, West Northwestern Pennsylvania. And, uh, uh, it was it was very very good. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was just because you know it's it's really cool when you get to go to a film and you don't know what is going to happen at all. You're going totally cold. Oh, that's awesome! It's awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, sometimes those are the best surprises, right? For sure. I remember um, when <laughs> Jordan and I attended uh, Sundance a few years back, and there was this film, The Descent that we didn't know anything about. It just had a still picture of somebody in a, in, of a woman in a cave and there was no trailer or anything out there. And man, the descent scared the shit out of us. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Oh, I, I love the descent. Um, I, if anybody hasn't seen it, they, you really should see the descent. It, it, it's, it's um, an excellent movie and hopefully you're seeing the one with the original ending, not the, 
ending the United States ending, but the um, the world ending, worldwide release ending. Yes, good call there, and avoid the sequel would be my advice. I saw that once and that, you know, I, I, I'm kind of leery of sequels. To me, a lot of sequels, if you did the film really well the first time, I know people want to go back to it, but sometimes if the story's told, it's best to just move on to another um, topic. Yeah, that, the first film felt like it was a, it was closed, right? We, we had the experience, it was wrapped up, they did a great job. Yeah, great film. Oh, I, I, I definitely agree. And and for those that have never done film festivals, I know I did this one virtually. I've gone to the Annapolis Film Festival many times over um, the last several years, and it's it's something everybody should do at least once if you love films. Go to a film festival, and you're just exposed to so many different feature-length shorts, documentaries, um, and things like that. It, it, for like whatever amount of days it is, it's just – it wears you down, but it is something that's really worthwhile, especially expanding your horizons. That's true. Yeah, definitely. It's all about discovery, right? It's uh, You look forward to the surprises and breakout hits and, you know, the excitement of seeing new cinema before anybody else and new voices. And, and not every film, you know, many, many films out of festivals don't uh, get distribution, so... You have a chance to really see a lot of films across the world uh, that you may never get to see, and then you know another chance to see them. Oh, definitely. And I'm curious. I know with Unearth, you've been doing in California and some other areas. You've had some um, selected releases of it recently, where you were finally able to see. So I'm sure both of you are really wanting to see audience reactions. What were some of the audience reactions to the movie? Yeah, uh, in particular, we had, so we had our theatrical premiere at Lemley Theaters in um, North Hollywood. And the first screening, uh, towards the the last half of the movie, somebody ran out of the theater and uh, threw up on the wall outside. So that was a a good reaction for sure. (laughs) That the staff was not happy about, but uh, the cast and crew in attendance, we took that as a compliment because it gets pretty intense in the end. And I have to tell you, seeing it in um, you know a theater with the best picture and best sound is you know quite a different experience, of course, than seeing it at home. Uh, and and it was a, a wonderful experience. I mean, we we've gotten uh, a lot of great reactions a lot of feedback uh it's divisive for for some um which which we welcome we like discussion around the film and and we hope that it brings up some topics and themes that people feel are are timely and worthy of discussion so you know any anyone's reaction to it so long as um you know they come into the film with an open mind like you hope always uh, you know, we have we know we have some industrial things going on in the film and some commentary about industry and, you know, that can get people really upset at us right away without even seeing the movie. So we've had we've had some of that, too. But I think a lot of people are, you know, maybe learning more about hydrofracturing and, uh, you know, 
the kind of the consequences of industry. One of, one of the things, um, to give people an idea, I don't want to give anything away in the movie because it's so fun to discover all the nuances, but what would be the synopsis that you can give to people about the film without spoiling anything? I'm sure you've, the two of you have done this a few times, and I don't want to try to, to accidentally give anything away. Do you want to tackle that through it or you want me to? I think you, as the author of the script, you do the best job. Sure. So it's a story of two neighboring, struggling farm families. It's in, uh, in contemporary America. And one day, a natural gas company uh, knocks on the door, wanting to lease their lands and the potential for great opportunity for both of the families. One of the families is strongly against the idea the other signs the lease. This fractures the relationship between the two families. And during the drilling process, the water not only gets contaminated, but something else is released as well. And things go downhill from there. I, that, that's, I think that gives a good idea. And for listeners wondering, I, what I like about this film is something up, I know some film goers don't like. I like the slow burn. I like where the first 40 minutes is built up learning and developing all these characters. And then the, um, the, the second half of the film is where basically all hell breaks loose, you know, little by little. <laughs> yeah. And, and Steven, to your comment, we're finding out like, it's good that you said that because people who are, I think are patient audiences and can, you know, handle and are interested in character and dialogue. I think that they're going to find a lot to like in the film. Um, you know, everybody has different tastes, of course, but those who want, you know, girls in bikinis getting killed in the first five seconds and full of jump scares, that's not on earth. So people should know that going in. Um, these are characters you're going to get to know um, and hopefully care about. Uh, and go go with us on this on this journey. It's a it's a story with a feeling of dread that slowly slowly suffocates. Yeah, because this film is not just about scratching and horror. It's also about people's lives, how they they struggle, the disappointments, about love and friendship. So, I hope our viewers will be able to see that in this film. Well, I agree. I look at it as. I was pondering this today. The title "Unearthed" to me means two different things. It means the fracking horror story, but also what's un as you unearth what's about these characters, as you're peeling the layers and learning about them. So to me, it it, it has the double meaning. I don't know if you intended that when you wrote we're writing the script, John, or not, but that's the way it came across to me. That's very good uh, what you just said because, as I said even before, it's about come to the surface, so on earth, basically, come to the surface, with the surface about our fears and disappointments. So, yeah, good, good point you made. Yeah, you're right on, Stephen. Thank you for saying that. Well, and I think movies that have characters that you care about have legs, will have a tendency to last longer, be more memorable than a body count where you don't even know who the people are. They all just um, fit a trope if they got if they even get that much of a character as you said sometimes you have movies where 
oh, if there's not a kill in the first opening scene, it's not really a horror story. And I'm old enough and have experienced enough films, horror films and all types of films where I tend now to gravitate towards more character-driven movies, though I do like the occasional popcorn action flick where, you know, you just go there and just want to be entertained. Those are fine also, but I think for me to have a lasting effect where it's going to stay with me is movies where you care about different people. For sure. Yeah, well said. Yeah, sorry, I just went in there, Drew. No, well said, you know, you're more sophisticated crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way too, like, you know, I watched uh, just recently Army of the Dead on Netflix, right? I knew what I was going to get into there. I wanted something that was going to be fast, heavy on the action, very stylish. Um, the thing that I appreciated about that film is they did actually take some time up front and there was some good character development, some relationships between the team and people's backstories. So to your point, I, you know, looking through my my favorite horror films for sure um, of all time, they all either go right out of the gate and do something like Army of the Dead did, and they do it well, or um, you know, it takes its time, it builds character, it builds dread. Um, yeah, scary is uh, you know a, a subjective term. Uh, you know, it's like. One thing maybe scary for somebody, maybe boring for somebody else. Uh, to me, with writing this story, you know, there's, uh, and you said you come from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is one of the most deregulated states for industry in the in the entire country. And, you know, to me, it's scary as hell to imagine what I'm eating and drinking and putting into my body, maybe slowly killing me, uh, is scary as hell. When I was younger and in college, I used to work for an organization called Clean Water Action. So um, going into this film, I was already, you know, understanding, you know, about how we want to make sure that the stuff that we're drinking is clean and and, and safe. And and those are things that are constantly always fears. You know, right now I live in a rural area in Maryland and um, it's well water and you're always worried about what if the well water gets contaminated and then, you know, what are you going to do? There is no, if that, if that well gets contaminated, all the groundwater in that area, our area would be contaminated. And then what are we going to be doing? Bottled water the rest of the time? It's, it's always something that's yeah. in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's a great point, right? Once you contaminate the water table, um, the aquifer, you're you're screwed. And I know it seems like a temporary fix to, oh, well, you can just drop ship in, you know, bottled water or these big tanks of water that, you know, companies do when they ruin the water. But is that a long-term solution, (laughs) you know? No. Oh, I agree. And it's, um, those are things that hopefully this film will get across in, in a way that's, it's, it's not, um, hammering the people over the head with it. The message is there and you can, you can look at the message or you can just enjoy the film as for what it is and not, and not look at it as a message movie. I mean, that's, I think that's the tight balancing act because some films have that trouble where they're, they're so focused on their message. It's almost, they're too focused on it and they need to balance the entertaining part with it. Yeah, I totally understand that. And that was always something we, we took in mind 
during the writing process and even Dorota and I through the editing process was, you know, there's different versions of this movie where you have the scientist character, right. Kind of explaining everything away. Um, or you have some workers on the gas well site and you would make them like evil or something. We, we definitely didn't want to do that. And between the two different families, you know, Mark Lucas's character, he's the one who decides to sign the lease, but he's not a bad guy. You know, he has um, two daughters. He's uh, separated or, um, you know, divorced and has a baby as well. You know, it's, it's just making you understand uh, and feel empathy for uh, these people that may have an existence and experience outside of your own, but they're humans. And they're, you know, they're fallible and we all make mistakes, but they're just trying to survive and, you know, get their families through. Now, um, how in the world were you guys able to get actors of the class that you got? I mean, this is a Hollywood type cast and a, and a look for, for not, not, nothing personal, for a relatively small film in Western Pennsylvania. It, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me how you were able to get this cast. Thank you so much for saying that. We're very happy with our cast. <laughs> um, Jero, did you, do you want me to start on this one and you'll jump in? Sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of one of our goals always from the start, Stephen was to hire locally and to bring talent back home. And very early on, we brought Mark Lucas and Allison McAtee back to Northwestern Pennsylvania, which is where they went to grade school. And then also Rachel McKeon in the lead cast, uh, we found out we, we didn't even know she was from Erie. I mean, she's on like Marvel's Jessica Jones. And, you know, she's been in some really highly rated indie films. And so right there, we had three people you know, really, really high talent that were from this area. So we brought them back and having someone, having those people already involved in the project really helped us. Uh, and especially have to give a shout out to um, our casting directors who were Becky Silverman and Lisa Zambetti, who Allison McAtee actually brought in to the project. Her and Mark served as producers on the film as well. So really it was a combination of having people like Mark and Allison already attached and uh, the script. People really liked the script. Adrian loved the script and our casting directors uh, getting, getting this great cast together for us. And Dorota and I, you know, watched um, a number of tapes for, for some of the roles like Brooke, uh, you know, we watched her, her auditions and she was fabulous and Monica and um, PJ Marshall and PJ Marshall. And yeah, I mean, we were really blessed with this cast. They really are amazing. We couldn't be happier really. Yeah. The film was very, at first the film was very small project. It's supposed to be just the, the John and me and was, Canon Mark D3 camera, but then it, I don't know, had such a great energy and vibe that attracts so many great, amazing people that it's, it's insane when I think about it now. Yeah, it started out as a Kickstarter, and um, 
I think 2015, uh, that far ago, we had a Kickstarter and we had 260 some people from across the globe that backed the project and it was 150% funded and that's where it started. And, you know, Chuck Polinick and other people noticed the project and tweeted about it and um, it just kind of kept growing. <laughs> So uh, it's kind of mind blowing, yeah. Thinking thinking back over over the eight years that it took to get to this point, and then of course they call it an overnight success. You know, it's, it was only eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a lot of time. You know, people. I, I think sometimes the film goers don't realize, especially with independent projects, how much time it takes to go through and develop it, and then. It, to me, any film that gets made is a significant achievement. And whether it's you enjoy it or not, you know, you shouldn't just – I hate it when people take a trash a film and, and they'll give it, like, one star. I mean, it's just – you might not have liked it, but it's just they succeeded in getting their project through. And then when you see a work like this where it's it's this nice gem that you want audiences to know about so they can go see, it's like – it shows you. It's like you don't have to all be – a Hollywood system. I think sometimes it's best to be out of the Hollywood system to get the most creative ideas and the creative works. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. And like, yeah, I could never give a film one star. I mean, <laughs> once, once you make one into your point, once you understand all that's involved and all the people involved, uh, it, you know, it's, it's so much to make it through just to even get a film funded and then to pull off the production, pull off, post-production and somehow get it in front of people's eyeballs. I mean, yeah, it's like you're just crossing one mountain to get to another one really. And yeah, it's, um, it's, lifestyle. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's not a job. Now, one of the things also I mentioned was this is the special effects. I don't, um, there's, I don't want to give away anything, but there's a couple of great scenes of special effects in there that people are going to be, I think this might be where the one lady um, or the, the film goer, whoever it was left and, and regurgitated. Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of great scenes. I mean, I just want to give them a, a, some credit. Yeah. It was definitely during the, um, the air, the timing that you're thinking about for sure. When things really start to ramp up. Yeah, we, uh, and Dorota can, I'm sure, comment to this too, but one of the goals was always to capture as much in camera as possible to do, um, you know, real practical physical effects. And we found an amazing team out of Pittsburgh called Tolan Effects. They do all of the big projects that come through Pittsburgh. And again, it was another great situation to, to land them on the crew. And we got to work with them a year, year and a half before we even started filming to kind of design um, a lot of what you what you see in the film there. And yeah, the, the, when I started working on the story and the script, uh, a lot of those images that you see there in the last you know half hour or so of the film were definitely the first things that I saw in my head that I wanted to see in the movie. And it definitely made our special effects people happy because they had never seen some of those things in a film ever before. I guess that helps that you had that, that art background with drawing comic books and things like that. That you're able to roughly um, show them what you're looking for to help them get the idea to make it. Um, so your vision got to 
from Paige got the screen? It probably helped. Yeah, my drawing skills are not up to not up to snuff now. Maybe Jerry's drawing skills are better. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah, I have to have good skills, but drawing skills. But the what helped really it was the fact that the um, I don't know how much I can release in this interview, but the special effects were basically based on the actual real. Um, fungus which exist in our um, in nature yeah in nature so it wasn't it's not necessarily fantasy to be creative here but kind of um, transform the existing uh, form into something uh, for the purpose of the film so so it was kind of another thing which we could highlight here that it's not a complete fantasy that what happens to those people, it's not a complete fantasy and it could be realistic in a good environment. <laughs> so maybe John, you want to say something about that? Yeah, and it's interesting too, Stephen, like, you know, working on it for so many years and then having it come out the year of a pandemic, right? Which obviously we could have never, ever imagined. <laughs> um, you know, a world where every cough and sneeze is, potential for disaster, you know, having, having moments like that in the, you know, the script over all these years just uh, forms that connection too. I know one special effect we can talk about for sure to Dorota's point about keeping things as grounded and realistic. We really wanted to show physically the, the drilling process, the hydro fracturing process or fracking. So, um, toll and effects, uh, got a hold of blueprints of a drill head and built all of the parts uh, in, in duplicate and miniature and uh, built built that. So that's a real working drill that's really drilling. Um, yeah, and it was it was important to us to kind of you know because we'd seen it before in documentaries and other videos that you can you know, find on YouTube how fracking works, but it's all animated. <clears throat> we didn't want to, you know, have it be CG or anything like that. We wanted it to hold up and last and be real. Yeah, I always think if you can go with practical effects, that's so much better than CGI for the, um, the down the road, you know, with, with, with viewing a movie, because the CGI will eventually date itself i mean in, in what were practical effects well to me always seems to hold up for the test of time yeah that's what we thought so yeah you can have a 300 million dollar budget but maybe in a year or two <laughs> you know it might just start to show it seems already which is crazy just to imagine but you know if you watch alien or the thing or you know something that's 40 years old now i mean they didn't have cg and it looks the same as it did back then which is just speaking to what you were saying Stephen, for sure it holds up yeah i think if you compare the um was it 1982 john carpenter's the thing to the one where they did was like a prequel that came out a few years like 10 years ago and mm -hmm. they use cgi and it was Nowhere, even when it came out, it was just nowhere near as good as the original. Yeah, it's tough. You can, you know, use the strongest computers, as many animators as possible. Um, 
but yeah, you can't, we still can't quite beat the real thing. And, and speaking of sound, um, you talked about the drilling and things like that. The sound composer, uh, was it, was it Jane Saunders? Yes. That was, that was just, that was such a, it, the music fits the movie very well with developing that tension right off the, the bat. Especially if you don't have any idea what's going to happen, you know, like 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 I came in the movie cold, so the movie's constantly ratcheting up that tension. You're just waiting for it, like when when is it going to go? When is it going to go? And I think that when you finally get that release, it's like ooh. I know. <laughs> yeah, you were. I mean, Jane was uh, brought to us by Monica White, who's in the cast, and uh, she was doing an art installation in New York and where she was using sounds from the earth that she'd captured and some industrial sounds. And when we listened to, it was like a six minute uh, sample that she sent us. And it was like, wow, this is, this is it. And it was something that we had never imagined before what she did. And, you know, Jane can speak much better to this, but she incorporated real industrial sounds and real sounds that she captured from the earth into the instruments of the, that she uses for the soundtrack. So our soundtrack, it has that kind of natural connection to the industry and the environment too, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's why we, we released the, um, the score of the film uh, separately through, through our website store, because we're just so happy with, with our score. I actually have her score because I never purchased it. Again, you know, it's, it's um, you know, digitally from you guys. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, it's on you know iTunes and all the normal places. Thanks, thanks for saying that, Stephen. Yeah, we're very happy with with her work, and then she worked really well with um, Chris Bell, who was our uh, recordist on set, and he also did the the sound design and the mix in post, and they both worked really closely together. We're really happy with the sound. Sound, you know, it was always um, character in the writing process, um, acting and performance so that people would be connected with the experience and then capturing the best sound possible and to get the best practical effects that, that we could were all things that were kind of our goals for sure. The one thing I wanted to talk about is, is the opening scene where Allison's character is fishing and I just like the way it was for me filmed because it shows her being by herself that isolation you know from society and how she's looking at her camera lens and fishing and, and, and things like that and, and trying to make decisions and it, it seems like she does she want to stay does she want to go which is an ongoing thing throughout the movie but it's right there at the opening area um, and then as she's driving back to the farm um, I'm presupposing you guys used a drone, but it was, it was, there were some great shots setting everything up the area and things like that. Well, thank you. Um, um, yeah, thank you for mentioning all of that for sure. The, the opening of the film, and actually this will probably be on the Blu-ray, there was a little bit that we cut out there of, of more of her by herself at the beginning. But yeah, it was important for us to open with showing water and showing that isolation. And even though you don't know, 
you know, the background of, of what she's thinking in that moment, hopefully, you know, getting that emotional weight and those questions that she's, she's asking herself, which, uh, definitely Stephen, yeah, you're, you're connecting with a lot of what we felt for that character. And I'm just going to say, cause her character and Mark's character, are the two most, you know, developed, I shouldn't say most developed, but they carry the movie and from being like sort of like the main focus characters for each family. And, um, and, and, and the acting that they both do is just, is just tremendous. I mean, like I said, the whole cast is tremendous, but the two of them, especially Allison, you know, really carried a movie all the way through. Yeah. I mean, she, she and Mark were workhorses for sure. They, you know, they both served as producers on the film. So they came to set every day, even if they didn't work that day or if they didn't work for those scenes. And, um, they jumped in on crew when there were, you know, gaps and, and things needed. Uh, yeah, we're very happy with both of their performances very much for sure. They, uh, we're very happy to have them in the film. Through the anything you want to add? Yeah, they, they, all, our cast was very dedicated to this film. So that was kind of amazing to watch that in the set. Yeah, Allison, like, I'm, you know, I'll remember, like, her running through the, the cornfield, not to give anything away, but she really has to come unhinged, and, you know, I don't know how actors do it. It, it just fascinates me and blows my mind uh, how they put themselves out there and, and really, truly give it their all, and, you know, she did as many takes as we needed, and yeah, I mean, you know, the cast, as you know, the cast suffers, you know, different levels. It's not just, you know, the, the blood and horror parts, but emotionally, it's, it's a very high emotion um, performance as well for, for everybody, really. But I'll always remember, yeah, Allison in the cornfield and then Mark, you know, he has a sports background. He, he played uh, basketball and was quite good before he got into acting. And he's kind of like that coach on the sidelines thing. And he'll, he'll jump in and help wherever, wherever something's needed. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely two very important players on, on the other team for sure. And, and one thing I want to compliment both of you guys on for, with your vision in the film is the lack of makeup where the people, because they were supposed to be farmers or people, uh, Mark works as a a mechanic in the garage. I mean, they're supposed to look a certain type. And sometimes of Hollywood films, you see these people made up in such a way that they just like, they don't look like they belong where they're at, where everybody here through wardrobe, through makeup and everything looked spot on for their characters. Yes, that's a very good observation. And I can assure you their sweat and the tiredness of their faces and everything was authentic and real because we saw in a very difficult um, time. It was hot summer and there was no shadow and everyone was sweating. <laughs> and I was like, that's great. That's what we need. We need sweaty, realistic looking people. And for example, when we shot in with Mark in the garage, uh, we did not have our makeup person next to him so mark basically grabbed some kind of weird 
all this oil from the some barrel he found in the garage and put himself on the face and wipe his face in that weird probably ACD thing and his t-shirt he just do it himself everything was just basically improv and not maybe not everything but that scene was kind of improvisational because he put the makeup himself like he would normally do when he's working in the garage so it wasn't really yeah it was authentic and that's what we needed. I wanted a realistic image. I didn't want pretty people put in that in that field, corn fields, like they don't belong there. But I just needed what what we have. We have sweat and dust and all that was natural in this film. Yeah, one thing that, you know, I like the movie signs, but one thing that always bothered me about uh, M. Night's signs is they're supposed to be farmers, but you never see them do like a second of farm work. <laughs> they're just surrounded by these fields and it's like, who's getting the work done all day? You know? So we wanted to show for sure that, that these are hardworking people. The, the people that own the farms that we are at are really hardworking um, people and they're feeding all of us. You know, they're, they're putting themselves out there and doing this backbreaking work and, it was really out of respect for the real farmers in these communities that we wanted to make sure that we, we showed the hard work. I'll say if, if Adrian's character, Catherine's there, 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 there's definitely going to be hard work. They're not, she's not the way she had her character set to go. It's like, okay, let's get this done. You know, it's, it's work the land. Yeah, for sure. Adrian got that right, right away. Adrian's really cool because, you know, she likes, having the dialogue about the character in the background and you know she asked like what what books she should read what movies she should watch she really wants to you know get her hands dirty for sure as well and you know know what kind of a, a woman Catherine is and she definitely got what we were looking for for sure yeah yes we didn't want an older soft lady because that person that character of Catherine needs to have that power and force to do all that hard work and be strong and uh, opinated, I would say. So, yeah, I think uh, Adrienne did very good. I think that was perfect person to that role. Yeah, I have friends of mine that are farmers um, up in, you know, in Maryland and stuff. And also when I, when I go back to Pennsylvania, I'd run into some people that we – that are, you know, that we used to grow up with, that were still running their farms. And it, to me, it was an accurate portrayal. They, they, they have a job, it has to get done. And I, this this plays in part of the movie where, you know, somebody gets hurt and it's like, well, we, we still got to do it, you know? And uh, and there's a lot of sucking it up and just getting the job done by all the characters. You know, they, this is something that has to be done. Yes, exactly. We can see that in one scene when there's no excuse, no, no time to take the sick day and... We just have to business as usual, keep going. Exactly, and I, I want to give credit to the actors for doing, you know, because I know some of I know some people they don't want to show themselves without the makeup on, you know, to, to the public in that way, and um, you know, for them to allow themselves to not have that vanity and to go out there and just and, and give to their performance is is again speaks so well of the cast that you're able to get. Oh yeah, extremely because. 
it really you gain a lot of respect for the actors when you see them working because when you see a film it says oh it's you know it's all fake it's not, they don't really hurt themselves it's 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 nothing but when you really watch this making filming this on the set you do realize wow they really treat their body as a tool as another medium to express their art so you gain a new level of respect for the work it's really amazing feeling when you see they, there's no barriers there's no limitations when uh, Alison ran through the field, it, she really did run through that corn field, which is not the best uh, place. It's not soft uh, corn, but it's really spiky and sharp. And she really ran through that like there is no tomorrow. And that's not everyone can do, really. I would not want to run through the field of corn, really, myself. It's not only a physical, heavy physical job, but also you can hit yourself, hurt yourself. But they don't care. There was like a lot of dust on the road, and Adrienne didn't even say anything. It was like she was soaked in the dust, and I would say I don't want to breathe, breathe this in, and nobody from the crew either. But Adrienne did not say a word. It was true professionalism. You can watch this, and it's like you gain full level of respect and a for that kind of job. Yeah, we had these massive construction trucks that uh, we're really thankful to get for the film and it's a scene where adrian's checking the mail which is across the dirt road from the house that her family lives in and we have like six of these massive trucks drive by and i was was telling adrian like when to cross you know safely to give herself enough distance and she's like no i think i want to wait a little longer so it looks a little scarier and we're like okay you know like she's she's a game yeah, that's really amazing what actors do. It's like I don't, I did not realize that before making a film. Actually, how hard work it is. So you basically sacrifice your own body to do the scene. Oh, I know. It's it, it, that was it's again. You, you guys were blessed with an amazing group and with the writing, and your directing. But the main thing I think listeners want to know is, where can they see this and when can they see this? Because I know it's coming out. For release soon. Yeah, definitely. So if you live in the UK or Ireland, it's available on digital and DVD starting June 28th. Um, it is available in the US and Canada, I believe, on digital. So, you know, digital to rent or own through all the major platforms starting on July 6th. And we're looking at the uh, Bare Bones DVD release, I believe, in the U.S. on July 20th. And then we will be releasing our... And and it's coming out in many other countries as well. We just don't have those release dates yet. Actually, I know the France one is August 18th. But then Dorota and I are working on... We held the rights for the Blu-ray release for ourselves. So we're looking at probably October. Um, that like the special edition Blu-ray will be available through uh, unearthmovie.com and uh, other digital like online shopping outlets. So yeah, the, the, if you're in the U.S., July 6th, is the day to remember for digital and July 20th for the DVD. And then if you want all the bells and whistles, it'll be a little later on. 
Sounds like it'll be a, a perfect little Halloween gift for the, if the Blu-ray. <laughs> That's what we're hoping. And for for people that want to follow what's going along with the two of you, where can they follow um, on social media? Probably what, Dorota? The best places really are just the Unearth page, I would say for sure. There's the Unearth page, and then our company is Lions Den Productions. It's Lions with a Y. So if you want to, uh, you know, see what we're working on next down the road, that would be Lions Den Productions. But everything Unearth, you know, we have our, our website, unearthmovie.com, Unearth on all the socials. And then we have a newsletter that you can sign up for. We do a monthly newsletter where we have exclusives and kind of first looks at, at stuff and behind the scenes things uh, for our newsletter subscribers as well. Did I forget anything, Dorota? No, that's, that's on earthmove.com and Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, because I think on your website, you also have shirts and things like that. You have, you have other type of merchandise available for people that want to help support you guys in, in, in your film. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, we're really proud of like the poster artwork. Christopher Shy did the, uh, the teaser poster for the film. Um, he did the poster for Mandy and also like uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, you know, are kind of his more famous posters, but we're really happy to have him involved. So yeah, we've got posters, shirts, and we're going to work on uh, redesigning and expanding that store um, in time for the Blu-ray release too. So I'm sure we'll have some cool packages and, and stuff put together by then as well. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning all that, Stephen. It, it definitely helps the filmmakers. Well, my thing is, is I'm independent films because I love watching them. And the best way to do it is to help support independent filmmakers. And uh, you two have got a wonderful one that's coming out with Unearth, And it really does, uh, deserves to be supported and seen. And, and it, you know, see it digitally, buy the DVD, and then, you know, get the Blu-ray for some friends for Halloween. Love it. But thank you both for um, taking time to do the interview with me. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much for invitation and all best for me. Yeah, great conversation, Stephen. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, and you're welcome. Thank you for turning, tuning in to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. We hope that you greatly enjoyed this interview with the creators of the feature film Unearthed, and that you enjoy our next episode, which will be decided by the role of a die.